You are listening to episode 186 of the Mad Chatters podcast, April 25th, 2018. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Mad Chatters podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. My name's Derek, and I'm joined by my fellow chatters, Matthew. Didn't we just do this? And Jeremy. Hey, that's me. Well, on last week's episode, we talked all about the 20th anniversary of Animal Kingdom, and some of us... We're there for it. So a little bit later on the show, we're going to be joined by a special guest to help us break down everything that happened on Animal Kingdom's big anniversary. But before we do that, we're going to do a segment that we actually haven't done in a while, but it's about time we brought it back. We're going to do some Disney debates. So since it's been a while, let me remind listeners what this segment is all about. Basically, we pick a topic and then we are sort of assigned a side of the topic. So we don't necessarily believe the things we are arguing, but the third chatter will hear our arguments and will choose completely objectively, not which argument he sides with, but the debater who made the best argument. So with that being said, I will be the judge for this first round. And Jeremy and Matt, why don't you tell me what you guys are debating today? Our debate is related to Star Wars. Now, as you know, an upcoming film, Solo, is about to be released in a few weeks that is going to focus on Han Solo's sort of backstory that predates uh, A New Hope. And this is going to inspire and trigger a lot of other standalone Star Wars backstory films to come. I'm thinking like Boba Fett is happening, correct? That's the rumor, yeah. And then like an Obi-Wan Kenobi is coming as well. Uh, So Matt and I are debating which Star Wars character deserves their own standalone backstory uh, in this sort of tradition. Uh, Matt will be arguing for Jabba the Hutt, and I will be arguing for Vice Admiral Amalyn Holdo. All right. Go first. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, of all the characters in the Star Wars universe, uh, Jabba, <laughs> Jabba occupies a, a permanent seat, I think, in people's like fascination. Like when you think Star Wars, what, I mean, he's one of the, the central characters I think of, aside from the main ones. And he's in the movie, uh, you know, Return of the Jedi, Episode Six, for what, like twenty? minutes and uh, and the special edition of episode four for like five minutes um but you have this wonderful rich backstory that could be developed um with him as this kind of uh, coming into this a uh, crime overlord almost like godfather type figure and, and that's exactly how I would do this this film, how he was... Uh, first of all, who the Hutt are, because they're everywhere. Who the Hutt are you? Who the Hutt? They, 
they appear in the Phantom Menace, right at the at the race, uh, the pod the pod racing scene. They come out as if they're kind of over this whole thing. So it's like who who are these not people? Who are these creatures? Who is this family? Where do they come from? And specifically, where does Jabba come from? And I'm feeling like this kind of crime underworld mafia vibe, except with these large sluggish creatures <laughs> and their interaction with the, you know, cause they're kind of there and like true crime Lords, they're neither on the left or the right. You know, they're not with the rebels. They're not with the empire. They're who with whoever will give them the most money and how they can get the, the biggest bang for their buck. So, um, Jabba is a uh, fascinating. Now it could be a challenge in terms of, okay, he speaks a different language. There's always subtitles for him. So do we go that route, or do we just have him speak English uh, so we can understand him? And that's that's a challenge, admittedly. But who wouldn't want to see this kind of underworld Star Wars uh, backstory to the biggest? I mean, other than the Empire, I mean, he's kind of he's kind of a larger than life kind of villain. I would like to see that, and you can even intertwine some um, some Han Solo stuff. Uh, back in the day and how he came to be indebted to Jabba, which might happen on this film. Who knows, the upcoming solo solo film. But if not, you know, what's the beef between him and and, and Han Solo? Not as a primary plot of the film, but as a uh, as a side story. Very Rosencrantz and Gildenstern style. Um, so, Jabba the Hutt. The Hutt family. Crime Lords of the Universe. <laughs> I don't know what you'd call it, but... I'd buy tickets to see it. I believe, Your Honor, that we already have a Jabba the Hutt backstory television show. It's called My 600-Pound Life, and it's featured on TLC each and every week. I will be arguing that a better character for a backstory would be Vice Admiral Amalyn Holdo. Now, if I believe I'm saying her name correctly because I've only seen this film once. But she was very inspirational. If you're unfamiliar with her, this is Laura Dern's character in... The Last Jedi. One of the biggest criticisms of the Star Wars franchise throughout time has been a lack of females in the universe. Um, in fact, people have made note that outside of Leia, you really never see any other female characters. Um, so it's great that they brought in a, another female, for one, and not only another female, but a strong female who is a leader, who uh, has made her way up the ranks into a position of power. She has done so and still appears to be very um, bold. It's not like she sacrificed any morals or anything to get where she got. And ultimately, she makes a beautiful sacrifice for the good of the people uh, on their behalf. So she's a very honorable character and one that I think would be good for young girls and boys to model after and to learn from. But I think there's a lot there too that could be unpacked in a film. Like she's a longtime friend and protege of Leia. How did they meet? Uh, what kind of adventures did they go on? Uh, you know, wh wh what is her story? How did she become who she began or when she began? Um, maybe she, she had some encounters with the Huts. I don't know, but we'd find out in that story. So I think that just from the, from the vantage point of uh, an undiscovered character, who has great potential, this is one. Do I have like a 20 second rebuttal? Uh, unprecedented, but sure. <laughs> Definitely not not unprecedented, but I'll allow it. As long as, the, yeah. 
as long as the backstory uh, centers on how she became so um, aggressive towards male leadership and uh, communicating clearly laid out plans as a military leader that didn't uh, first jeopardize the entire rebellion before giving up her life unnecessarily to save them in the end. That is that is male chauvinistic uh, a view of that. If she was a man, you would say that she was bold. The plot holes would still be there. <laughs> Why didn't you just tell us what you wanted? And these two Cracker Jacks wouldn't have gone down to whatever the Las Vegas planet they went to for 20 minutes of the film. And just the whole thing was like, why are you being like this? Can't you just tell him what you want from him instead of just being mad at him? Sure, he's immature and he's a trigger happy male. And I understand that's in vogue to be against these days. But at least communicate if you're a real leader. Maybe she's been burned before and we'd find out why she clearly (laughs) and she has reason yeah all right i'll agree with that let me bring it back (laughs) (laughs) i actually like both arguments from the start i had an idea of which one would be better but you have both given me reason to want both of these movies to happen jeremy i like your point about it being a film about a woman because we don't have that a lot in Star Wars, except Rogue One very much focused on the female character and gave us a female character that we can root for. Um, I gotta say, Matt's movie sounds more intriguing. A, he compared it to The Godfather, one of the greatest films ever made. And B, it would be the first backstory based on a villain. And I like the idea of it starting with him as like your um, anta- or your protagonist, and then you see how he became the way he is, which almost might give you sympathy for that character. So I gotta go with the film Who the Hut? A Star Wars Story. <laughs> Who the Hut? No, Matt's uh, idea is just Better Call Saul in space. And I love Better Call Saul, so... <laughs> Couldn't you see a just a backroom meeting between Jabba and some person that owes him money. I mean, they could even make a lot of plays on Godfather that I think would be kind of silly, but people would, like, eat it up. I gotta say, though, I would rather watch a young Laura Dern for two hours than a fat, slimy slug <laughs> for two hours. <laughs> oh, hey, look. I mean, look. Arguably, the prota- the main protagonist of the new Star Wars trilogy is is a female. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not just Rogue One, but but Ray and the the new trilogy is like, yeah, there's there's some other females there. Yeah. Not to say you can have too many female leads, but yes, no, they're not as sparse as Jeremy has led us to believe they are. All right. Well, since Matt won, maybe he should be the judge, and Jeremy and I can host the next debate. Our debate is going to be uh, which land is better themed in the Magic Kingdom. I have chosen Main Street USA, and Derek has chosen Frontierland, I believe. That is correct. All right, so I'm going to go first. Okay. When you think of a theme, a cohesive theme, there is none better in the Magic Kingdom than Main Street USA. From the moment that you walk onto the street, you are instantly sucked in by the music, the atmosphere, 
the visual stimulation and the entertainment that surrounds you. Now, granted, every now and then there is a break, much like in Frontierland, that there's the random dance party that pops up. There is random uh, times that Main Street breaks its theme. But if you were there just on an average day, nine times out of ten, you are sucked to that. You are sucked into that turn of the century, beautiful theming that surrounds you. What is better than the architecture that suggests that you are in a northeastern seaside town? What is better than the old music that just instantly sucks you into a Hello Dolly sort of mood and time and place? The walk-around characters who are dressed according to that turn-of-the-century style, even though they're probably sweating to death underneath. They, they're dehydrated, but they don't care. They're happy to be there. The daily theme that is, that is, it's 4th of July, so there's going to be a fireworks show today. And parade. Maybe. <laughs> Not at night. Uh, <laughs> um, I just think overall, Disney has maintained the integrity of Main Street USA and that there is not really one single break from the beginning to the end as you walk through. In other lands, that illusion is broken so often. What was the title of this debate again? What was the the ground? Which land is better themed? Okay. And I agree. Main Street USA is is really well themed and so is Frontierland. So in that sense, this, this debate is very difficult because they're both so wonderful in so many different ways. So I had to ask myself the question, what sets Frontierland apart? And I think for me, what sets it apart is that you can get completely lost in Frontierland. So to start that argument, let me present the opposite, which is Main Street USA. First of all, it, it's not that large and as soon as you walk into it most people's eyes go straight to the castle anyway which isn't even part of main street usa it's a gateway to another land altogether so people it's their fault yes but they seem to breeze by main street usa one whole side of the street is a gift shop and you the second you step foot in there you're no longer in main street usa in your mind you're in a disney store it could be the world of disney for all you know uh, Tony's Town Square, it's a bit questionable why an Italian restaurant is on Main Street USA. So it's hard to get necessarily lost in it, even though when you focus on individual details, yes, they are very well themed. Now think about Frontierland. When you go to Tom Sawyer Island, you are in the West, exploring. When you are on the Liberty Square Riverboat and you're on the other side of Tom Sawyer Island and you see the Native American village and you see the animals in the woods... You could be in the frontier for all you know. You are completely absorbed in this theme. And that's what I love about Frontierland. I mean, even even the part that's supposed to look like a town is very well themed. Think about the raised sidewalks, which are supposed to represent sidewalks in the Old West that had to be raised so that your boots and your bo the bottom of your skirt did not get dirty on the dust. Think about the wooden posts that could be carved smoothly because we have the technology for that now but no they're carved very roughly to look like wooden posts look like lumber look like log cabins in the wild west the music the fact that it's so dark at night all of these things are so perfectly keyed into that frontier land theme and the fact that it wholeheartedly absorbs you into it i think is why it just is a hair better than Main Street USA. My 20 second rebuttal. 
Uh, for the record, Your Honor, my <laughs> opponent uh, spent half of his time attacking Main Street rather than proving his argument. And when he did move to prove his argument, all he talked about really was lack of details that were not there. His idea of theming in Frontierland is a lack of something. My idea of a theming in Main Street is an essence of something. So, for instance, Derek says, it's dark. There's a lack of light. That's what makes theming in Frontierland so so wonderful. Where my argument is, yeah, okay, sure. But look at what they added. Look at how the light in Main Street USA is used to magnify a theme rather than to just say a lack of something is something. I'm sorry, did you not hear me talk about the roughly cut wooden posts? Because that was a key part of my argument. And let's talk about Big Thunder Mountain for a second, where when you're on certain parts of that ride, you don't even see Magic Kingdom. You just see the goats and the geysers and the horse-drawn carriage, all things that are very heavily themed to the frontier. You know what I don't see when I'm in Main Street USA? Frontierland. At all. That's why it's lesser than. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> because you should be able to see Frontierland because it's so wonderful and you don't even get to see it. Stop, stop. <laughs> Both of your arguments were dreadful. <gasps> just absolutely just miserable arguments. I might give it to Derek only because I preferred the phrase absorbed to sucked in. And then, <laughs> And that is all. That's it. Listen, English is my second language. And so that is biased, racist discrimination. What, what's your first language? Fun. Uh-uh. <laughs> on, to the, on to the next debate. All right. Well, you guys are screwed because I um, am d- judging both of you after I've lost to both of you. So, mm. so we're on even ground. All right. Matt and I are going to be arguing. Is the park hopper worth it matt says yes i say no and let me tell you why it is worth it if you're a one-day guest coming from um, outside of florida visiting for just a day and yeah you want to experience some of the best things that disney world has to offer you can't do everything but listen you're not even going to be able to do everything in one park in a day let alone four parks. But getting a park hopper option for, what, 50, 60 extra bucks will enable you to experience the best, if not just the highlights of all four parks. You can certainly maneuver your way, starting from the Magic Kingdom, hitting up Animal Kingdom, probably, well, depending on how late the parks are open, you might want to move your, your schedule around. So that's not really the basis of the the argument, but you could experience the best of Walt Disney World in a single day with a park hopper. Now, you're taking a vacation, whether it's four, five, or six days. If you're like me, you don't want to be boxed in to one park per day. Even if you're like me and you go in the morning and go home and take a break and come back, or go to the hotel and come back in the evening, you want the option to be able to mix it up. Like, yeah, I'll do Magic Kingdom in the morning. Maybe it's too crowded at the Magic Kingdom that day. Uh, so I'm going to take a break the afternoon. I'm going to go back to Epcot tonight. 
Or maybe you got there and you realized it's extra magic hours at this park that night. So people are flooding in there and you just kind of want to leave and go over to the Hollywood studios or something. You have the complete freedom to do that without feeling like you're trapped or boxed into one particular place all day long. So even, you know, one day, two day, three day, no matter how long you're there, the park, park hopper option is a wonderful benefit to enable you to experience more uh, than you would otherwise. Now it is extra cost, but uh, as we said, minimal for one day. And certainly the more days you go, not only does the, the, um, the price per day decrease for tickets, but the price per day for the park hopper option will dramatically decrease. So no matter which way you go, it's a win-win situation. I find it funny that my opponent uses the word minimal. Like, I don't know what kind of money he's rolling in. But for one day, you will spend $55 per person extra just to be able to go to that second park. And I know numbers are boring, but if we're going to talk about whether or not something is worth it, I do have to say that it's $55 extra for one day. But if you go four or more days, you're adding $75 per person Oh my word. To that ticket price. So let's say you have a family of four. You're adding $300 to your whole vacation. And why? Because you are too lazy to take just a bit of extra time to plan ahead. You are basically spending $300 for convenience. Think about what you could do with that $300. You could eat at a fancy restaurant with your whole family. You could park. (laughs) Yeah, at your hotel. (laughs) (laughs) you could book the train tour which i just experienced at magic kingdom that is a fun experience that you will always remember you could upgrade your hotel room even and go from value to moderate and it didn't cost you anything except for a little bit of time where you say i'm going to go to this park on this day and the reason i say it's worth it is that we always talk about on this show how it doesn't matter how much you do if everyone's miserable the whole time it doesn't matter if you go 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 and fit everything in what matters most is the memories you make and the experiences the experiences you have so if you put a little thought into where you want to be each day and you don't need that park hopper then you can enjoy every day to its fullest. You don't have to spend any unnecessary time away from the parks because you can be in the park the whole time making memories. And that is what you'll remember when the trip is over. All right, I'm taking a rebuttal. (laughs) I call logical fallacy uh, ad hominem on the attack of laziness, and I don't see how that pertains to this argument whatsoever because it has nothing to do with planning. In fact, you'd have to do more planning to visit more parks in a day. Uh, Secondly, what's the average cost for a park entrance for a day? I mean, I know the answer, but I want you guys to answer. Average cost for a one-day ticket? Probably $110. $110 for one park. Um, So relatively speaking, being able to visit four parks um, for only 50% more of that, to me, is a great deal. Not for everybody, mind you, but certainly worth it. The question is worth it. And um, first of all, between a value and a moderate, you're looking at a difference average of about $100 a night. So yeah, if you take a three-day vacation, maybe it evens out. But four, five, six days, it's not going to even out between the cost of the the park uh, the park hopper option and, and the upgrade. So that kind of falls through. That was just one of three examples. And also... 
you cannot tell me that going to four parks is, as you say, worth it when there's no way you can do more than three attractions in each park. Oh, and and, and yeah, yeah, and then the, to the to the to that one, I guess I was saying, um, I think I made this perfectly clear that you cannot do everything, but if you want to see the highlights, you certainly can hit most of the highlights for those parks. And and and, and I would say that that would also require more planning which defeats the the laziness argument i disagree would you like to make a comment derek to those well i i i just think that planning to where you know what park you're going to be in in what day to get all those fast passes and to book any restaurants that match up with that park takes more planning than in Matt's own words, he said, you know, if you show up to Magic Kingdom and it's crowded, we can just go over to Hollywood Studios. That's the opposite of planning ahead. If you're taking a vacation there, within the context of the person spending a day there with their family, that that wasn't part of that, that scenario. In fact, part of that scenario was scheduling your day out to be where you need to be, depending on the number of hours that the park is open, the crowd levels that are there that day, which you can check online, you can make fast passes at multiple parks nowadays, so... Nah, you really can't. Alright, silence! Both of you made very strong arguments. I was actually pretty pleased with that, and it made <laughs> it very difficult. Um, I can honestly say both of you deserve to win this. I really do. But, there can only be one, rule, one uh, winner. So, yeah. Matthew, congratulations, you win. Ah, oh, come on. Yeah, no, I the way that, what put me over is the way that he rebuttaled because both of your arguments were very strong in your opening statements. But he I feel like the what pushed me over the edge was the way that you said 50 percent more of a ticket price and you get four parks in a day rather than one. I think that's what proved to me that. You won the argument there. Yeah, good luck going home from a vacation with special memories where you're on a bus three times moving from park to park. I didn't uh, say Logical that. fallacy. <laughs> you don't necessarily take a bus, especially if you're there for a day. <laughs> I didn't say it was necessarily practical, but the argu- the question was, is it worth it? And that, that seemed monetarily worth it. So, hey, let me ask you, uh, when you went to Disney in December, did you get a park hopper? I did not. And why? Oh, right. Because it was more money than you thought was worth paying. <laughs> That's true. But now I'm going to go back in time and do it since I it's heard the argument. argument, the strength <laughs> of the argument, not the agreeance with the argument. That should have been part of my argument then. And how dare you? <laughs> Cheapskate. How dare you bring my money earnings into this? This is Where in the World Am I? And we will take turns placing ourselves within uh, a location on Walt Disney World property. And then the other two will have a combined total of 20 yes or no questions. 
in an attempt to locate us. And uh, two guesses each. So uh, alternating questions, 10 each, two guesses. I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and, and shimmy myself on in to my hiding my little <laughs> hiding space. Okay, are you in the park? I am. Are you in the Magic Kingdom? Yes. Are you in Fantasyland? Yes. Whoa. Are you on an attraction? No. Are you in Storybook Circus? No. Are you in a restaurant? No. Are you in a queue? No. Are you in a shop? No. Hmm. Are you outside? No. Are you in a bathroom? No. Are you inside a building that houses an attraction? No. It's very, very tricky. Yes, it is. Um, are you near water? No. Are you in the castle corridor? Where the murals are. I am not. Are you in a character meet and greet? No. Well, this is a puzzler. Are you... No, because that's outside. I got a feeling we're not going to be able to play this game much longer because it's getting more and more angry (laughs) towards each other. (laughs) I know, I like it. Are you inside the dwarf's cottage? (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, Because that would fit all the criteria. Are you you a a place that's not open to other guests? Oh, no, no. Um, Are you you in a place that exists today? Just kidding, that's not my question. Uh, Are you in New Fantasyland? No. Are you are you by the carousel? No. That's nine. This is our last question. Holy! This is amazing because I was just like first place I thought of. So it's not outside. Let's just work together for a second. Okay. <laughs> it's not outside. It's not an attraction. Not a queue. Not a shop or restaurant. Not near water. Not a character meet and greet. Not in the castle. Well, where can you be that's not outside? That's I know, seriously. Are you... Oh, and he's not inside a building that has attraction, because I was about to guess the small world, like, control tower. <laughs> Which is so specific. That was very specific. <laughs> um, Peter Pan. It can't be the Tangled Bathrooms. No, because I said bathrooms. Right. It can't be the Tangled Tower, because it's a place that guests can get to. I mean, man alive. Anywhere near the teacups? Oh my word. Are you at the Fantasyland train station? 
No. Don't. Um, okay. Are you... Are you by that fry stand? Or what used to be the fry stand? Whatever it's called. No, I'm not. I have no idea where you win. Where the hut are you? I am in Piglet's little treehouse. Ow! I forget about Winnie the Pooh. Sitting there, inside. Looking at the Nautilus. Yeah. I, that's amazing to me, because I was just like, quick, think of a place. Yeah, for some reason I always forget about Winnie the Pooh being in Fantasyland. Well, you covered all the other bases. I mean, an attraction, queue, character meet and greet. It's just a little, a little, little inside place that didn't fit the other criteria. Man, and we got to Fantasyland so fast. We walked right by it several times. <laughs> we Matt was sure there did. <laughs> laughing at us the whole time. <laughs> it's like, he. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go. I'm hidden. Right. Are you in a park? Nope. Are you in a resort? Nope. Are you... Oh. Disney Springs? Yes. Are you at a dining location? Yes. Are you in a dining location that is a table service? No. Are you in the marketplace area? Yes. Are you at Earl of Sandwich? Nope. Are you at Are you at the freaking Wetzel's Pretzels? <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it as a question. No, I'm not. Have we ever told that story on this show? I don't think so. Ah, uh, maybe another time. Okay, another that's a time. teaser. Email us if you really want to know. Are you at the place that Reuben works? Amaret's Patisserie, and no, I'm not. Jeremy, we're in the marketplace, honey. Oh, my bad, my bad. <laughs> uh, are you at the, the the little margarita bar there? No. That's five in. Um, are you, let's see. Did I ask Earl Sandwich? Did I already ask that? Yeah. You did. <laughs> okay. Are you at the Girardelli? Yes, I am. That's it. That's it. <laughs> in plain sight. I'm inside one of the Sundays. Eating a butter, <laughs> yeah, I'm a butterscotch chip. <laughs> yes, that's fun. Uh, all right, oh, that was easy. Good, good job, Jeremy. Okay, I'm going to hide. Ready? Find me. Are you in a park? Yes. Are you in Disney's Hollywood Studios? No. Are you in the Magic Kingdom? No. Are you in Disney's Animal Kingdom? Nope. Awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm not keeping track of the questions this time. Sorry. I am. Are you in Epcot? D. Just had to clarify what our parks were out. Are you in World Showcase? Yes. Okay. Are you to the left of the American Adventure looking at the American Adventure? Yes. Are you in Norway? No. Are you in Italy? No. Are you in Germany? Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. Are you at Beer Garden? Nine. 
Are you in a shop? Yes. I'll take a guess. I'll take a guess. Ah, ah. Are you in the store that sells the cuckoo clocks? Nine. Uh, that was a guess. Okay, it wasn't a question. Um, are you in the? Uh, are you in a place that sells food? Yes. I have a guess. Okay. You are in the caramel coochie. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. I'm all up in that caramel coochie. <laughs> the caramel kush. <laughs> uh, very good. Wow, Ghirardelli and the Caramel Kush, those are very similar. I think I'm like one of only two stumps that we've ever had. I think you're right. Yeah. Derek's uh, illegal hiding on the ferry boat landing. Oh, please. <laughs> you guys were just bitter because you didn't get it, and then you're trying to find all these loopholes of why I was wrong. All right. I that sounds see. about right. You did well. <laughs> So for our main segment today, one of our chatters got to take a trip to Walt Disney World, um, which he does about five times a month these days. <laughs> I just figured it's uh, it's Derek. Uh, even Derek gets to Disney World more than I do, and I live an hour away. But uh, uh, I don't think that's true. Yeah, I think you do. At least for for like a quantity of yeah. time. Like, yeah, all added together. So uh, he came down specifically for. Animal Kingdom's 20th anniversary, which we'll talk a little bit about. But joining us to talk about that trip and some of the things they experienced together is a friend of our show who's been on many, many times, author of the newly released Thinking Fan's Guide to Animal Kingdom, is... <laughs> that's not a real thing yet. Is uh, Aaron Wallace. How you doing, Aaron? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. And yeah, I wish that were a real announcement that I was making, but it's not. But I'm very excited to be here and talking about Animal Kingdom and all the other fun, busy stuff that Derek was kind enough to invite me to tag along for this past weekend. Well, just in case uh, someone is new to our show and has not listened to the shows that you've been with us uh, for, can you just tell us a brief little bit about yourself and where they might be able to find you online? Uh, yeah, sure. So I've been doing the whole Disney podcasting and writing and tweeting thing for like, I don't know, 10, 15 years now, a long time. Uh, and I have a book series, as you mentioned, called The Thinking Fans Guide uh, to Disney. There's one on Magic Kingdom, one on Epcot, and one on the movie Hocus Pocus. Uh, just sort of in-depth looks at all those things and why we love them. And uh, then I have a podcast called Zippity Doo Pod. Uh, same sort of thing, but in audio form. And you can find me online uh, just with my name, Aaron Wallace on Twitter or AaronWallaceOnline.com. Great. And Derek immediately has all the shows pulled up in his memory that you've been with us on. <laughs> what are those numbers? Yeah, I don't know that. I think the last time you were <laughs> with us when we, was when we talked about the parades of Magic Kingdom, right? Yeah, yeah. God, I loved doing that so much. And I think back to that discussion so many times now when I'm in the parks and looking at parades and you know just sort of thinking about the influences. Uh, and it was fun to look back at all of that. Yeah. And that was maybe 10 or 15 episodes ago. So you don't have to go very far back. 
No, they're they're not very f- they're 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 not few and they're many and not far between. <laughs> exactly, as the saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. That's a go-to. Okay, so as I said, uh, Derek made a special trip down here specifically for Animal Kingdom's 20th anniversary, which fell on, as it always does, April 22nd, which was uh, Earth Day, which 20 years ago, on April 22nd, 1998, Animal Kingdom opened its doors to the public. And it's hard for me to believe that, you know, you hear that the years go by, 10 years, 15 years, now it's 20 years. Like, I can remember the Magic Kingdom... You know, being there for the 25th anniversary. Heck, I remember being there for the 20th anniversary and thinking, wow, 20 years ago was the 70s. That's old. <laughs> and now here we are, and I'm thinking of 1998. Like, it's so... This made, it, this made it feel like it was so long ago. Yeah. And it's making me feel very old. But uh, not to depress our audience, our older audience, including myself, but... <sighs> Animal Kingdom turning 20 years old is a big deal. So you, you got to be there for all the fun activities and festivities. What specifically like stood out to you is like, I'm glad I came because of this. Ooh, good question. Uh, for, for me, stuff like this, I'm just glad I'm there just because of the energy of the people who are there and even cast members. And you can you always see like higher ups in the company who are present or executives who kind of have their eye over everything or for instance Joe Rody, you know the Imagineer genius behind this park like all of them were present and so it's just the atmosphere is kind of charged in a way and everyone there is a super fan basically of this park and of Disney parks in general so I just like that about it I don't know if there was one specific offering at this event that necessarily blew my mind um but that's that's what makes that's what brings me to these things i think i like about these things is that there's always like thousands of people there thousands hundreds of people there just for this the super fans you talked about but then there are the other like i don't know i'm terrible with numbers and how many are there like twenty thousand, thirty thousand ish is that a lot that's probably close people that are there that have no idea what's going on yeah and and they're like, why is everybody watching this? This is kind of, this is boring. Who's the guy with the earring? You know, it's funny. Just the, the, the combination of worlds that happens at these things. Yeah. I mean, on that topic, if I can skip ahead a little bit. One of the things they announced for this was that at 10.15 or 10.30 in the morning, there was going to be a special presentation, as there always is for these anniversaries. And it was going to be on a stage in front of the Tree of Life. And if it's like any of the other events that I've been to, I expected, you know, some sort of vice president or something to stand up, talk about the history of the park. Maybe there'd be some sort of performance of some kind. And then maybe like a pop of confetti. Um, And it says, enjoy your day here at Animal Kingdom on 20th anniversary. Well, sure enough, that's basically what happened. But because of the inclement weather, they moved this presentation to the Harambe Theater, which is where Festival of the Lion King is. And so people were lined up outside the theater waiting to get in at like 10, 10, 15. And in my mind, I thought, how many of these people are lined up thinking they're watching Festival of the Lion King? Oh, yeah. And about, oh, yeah. like, about like 10 minutes into this presentation, they're like, this is so not what I thought Festival <laughs> of the Lion King was Why is it so long? <laughs> Where's the lion? <laughs> Well, tell us a little bit about that then, because I I think that's what garnered the most attention, even from like just regular media covering it, was this special ceremony with with, uh, 
special guest Joe Rohde and and others. Yeah, who opened it up? Was it the VP of Animal Kingdom? Yes, uh, and his name is I think it's Dwan, uh, and he uh, yeah he gave just sort of a very you know standard issue corporate introduction, uh, but then eventually. Uh, the reins were handed over to the guest of honor, who was Joe Rohde. And I loved the introduction for him, which was basically something to the effect of if there is any one person who has earned the right to sign his name to this theme park, it's our guest of honor today. And they introduced Joe Rohde. And that is such a great way of putting it. This is something I've been thinking a lot about over the last year or so is that to the extent that Disneyland is a reflection of Walt Disney, the person, just like the things that he was interested in and his values and his core beliefs. Uh, I don't know that any other Disney theme park is the reflection of one man's interest and passions uh, to the extent that animal kingdom is that for Joe Rohde. Uh, and tr- particularly in the last 10 years of that park's development, uh, it's really been just sort of like Joe Rohde's theme park in the way that Disneyland is Walt's. And so I was, it was nice to see that, you know, sort of acknowledged in the introduction. Uh, and then I thought his speech, as opposed to the the corporate tone that, you know, you'd expect there's nothing wrong with it, but the corporate tone that was established before, his was really personal and came from the heart. And it was short, but eloquent and, and moving even. And uh, it was just really nice to get a little dose of his brilliant insight uh, on, on the 20th anniversary. Yeah. And, and the reaction when he was announced was very strong, you know, like heavy applause for him. And I do think he's one of those few Imagineers today that even people outside the necessary or the um, quote unquote, you know, Disney fan club or the uh, the Disney super fans, as some of us are, who who may not even know the term Imagineer. Like, I think Joe Rohde is the one name that kind of extends to that group as well. And it's like it's a it's a familiar name to them. And they associate it with Animal Kingdom, even if they don't necessarily know everything he did for that park. Um, but in that sense, in the in the modern age of Imagineers, he's one of the few that people will recognize. Well, I think so many people have seen those Travel Channel specials over the years, even just sort of casual Disney goers. And he's interviewed in a lot of those or, you know, like the History Channel specials. And I think he just makes such a visual impression with the earring. And so a lot of people, if nothing else, know that Disney has this important Imagineer who has the big dangly earring. Yeah. Yeah. You mean like the TV special where they had like 30 minutes of how wonderful the Yeti was going to be? I like that one. (laughs) That's my favorite. Uh, no, I always associate MGM Studios with Michael Eisner, and I take that for what, <laughs> what you see. <laughs> for a while there, that was the Eisner Park. Yeah, uh, I doubt he'll be speaking at the 30th anniversary next year. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, but if even only. as you know, Magic Kingdom and, and Disneyland as its kind of, uh, or Disneyland and Magic Kingdom as its kind of counterpart is a reflection of Walt. You know, there's kind of a hodgepodge of people in there, and you can you you have a list about you know two pages long, well, a page long if you if you write small enough, that, that has the Imagineers, who like signature attractions at Magic Kingdom, whether it's Tony Baxter or mm-hmm. Harper Goff or Bob Gurr, people like that that contributed to Haunted Mansion and Space Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain and Splash Mountain, um, Animal Kingdom, Animal Kingdom Lodge, I mean, it really is like. Joe Rohde, in a way that even the Magic Kingdom is not just Walt. I mean, it reflects Walt, but I mean, more than any other park, it's like, it's almost like they just let him do it. Like, the Imagineers, the rest of them just don't care. They're like, Joe, just that's your thing. Just, <laughs> you know, go over there and do what you want. And no, it's true. I mean, he was certainly the guest of honor that day. Like, all day, I, I saw Instagram posts of someone else who had found him and taken their picture with him. 
He was kind of the the it factor, the celebrity of the day. Uh, but the presentation after he spoke, um, it, they perform. They didn't perform, but they played a track. Uh, Welcome to our family from Brother Bear. And, uh, and they just had like performers from all the Animal Kingdom shows come out and just do dances. So like the flying birds on poles that are in Festival of the Lion King came out. Some of the animals from Festival, uh, Doug and Russell came out from Up. And then there were some Finding Nemo characters. And I think that's about it. Oh, and the Fab Five were there in their safari costumes. Mm. Um, Doug and Russell. Did, did, did the Up bird thing open that day? Yes. I, and actually, you got to see it. I think that's where we headed pretty much right after the presentation. We saw the the very first official show of oh, yeah. Up, A Great Bird Adventure. And and this is, uh, we've been talking about this for a while. It's the show that replaced Flights of Wonder, kind of in the, the caravan theater back there between Asia and Africa. Yeah. So did you enjoy this show better than Flights of Wonder? Um, I know we talked about Flights of Wonder. I don't, did we review it, review it, or just talk about it? Uh, we kind of talked about it. There were some interesting things that happened that day and people that wouldn't sit down and stuff. So that... That took the majority of our time, uh, but I think it goes without saying that you hate birds and that's not your thing. And and yeah. Sean, I'm interested to know how you how how the new show struck you. Okay, well, just walking by the theater, first of all, you already know that it's a different show because I don't know if you saw pictures, but there's brand new signage out front, obviously. But okay, I'm trying to describe. I'm trying to think how to describe this. You know, there's at, at eye level there are those curtains that look like quilts, you know, that are strung across a clothesline. Yeah. And then way up high, <laughs> way up high at the top of the building, it's basically like three big panels that I think used to say Flights of Wonder. Well, now they've been replaced with an artist's drawings of characters from Up, including like the house and the balloons and Russell and stuff. But it's it's got like an like a Middle Eastern Asian twist to it and I think it even has some Asian writing on it okay. in a different language and the characters even have a sort of Asian feel to them and it says like uh, Russell Russell. <laughs> well, <laughs> well yes <laughs> but I, I, I mean the style of artwork I guess right, right, right. is not just straight up Disney screenshots from the movie you know yeah, yeah. more like a mural it reminded me of the design that you see on like the ice cream trucks in Asia and the food truck over there. That sort of yeah. vibe. Yeah. So I don't like it. I mean, I, if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna do that, they they did an excellent job with it. If that makes sense, like it's the best it could be if that's the idea you're gonna go with. But for me, like that whole area is so well themed, and now it's like kaboom Pixar, which is kind of what 2018 has been like. Yeah, I was going to ask if you think it fit, and it doesn't, in your opinion. Yeah, in my opinion, I guess it doesn't. But I think it's going to be one of those things where in a year, it'll just feel totally natural. I'm sure it will. You know, it's funny, Derek, because at the time, I know you said you didn't like it. And I thought you meant just the artwork itself. And I thought, oh, I look, I, like, I think it looks so nice. But I'm just now realizing that while I think the artwork is lovely, like if you bought it on a postcard or a print or something, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of there are these giant, you know, what, four, five feet tall 
Pixar drawings now just sort of hovering in Asia. And that does detract a little bit from what is otherwise a very meticulously, authentically created environment. So yeah, that is kind of a bummer now that I think they get handsy. They get handsy with those theaters that kind of pop up in no man's land. Like if it's just far enough away from Dino Land and Asia, we can make it Finding Nemo. If it's just far away enough from (laughs) Asia and Africa, we'll make it up. Um, But let's talk about the show itself then. What's different about the show? I mean, it still got, it still has birds. Yes, it still has birds prominently. It still has a Fraser Crane joke. No. Yes, oh, which was yeah. my biggest concern going in. <laughs> Please don't remove the Fraser Crane joke. <laughs> I was no, worried. I, you think that they did that just for, just for, just for that purpose? Like some of you know, like jokes that stick around in the Jungle Cruise. Like we know nobody's going to get it, but it's kind of tradition. <laughs> that yeah. or since they have a crane, they're like, okay, you guys, we got to think of something else. And they spent forty-five minutes on it, and they're like, nope, there's no, there's no other joke about a crane. We have to use it. I don't know. That surprises me. Okay, so the show is still basically the same format. There are two hosts, and birds come out one at a time and, you know, perform stunts, basically, or interesting things that birds can do. And I have to say, like, I kept saying this, I'm glad this show exists because it really highlights different bird species, and the fact that they're all together in one show, I think, is something Animal Kingdom uh, really needs. Like, it really adds to that park. I love all of that. But the script for this show is so bad. And I knew it was going to be bad from the start because the host... Who is she talking to when he speaks... Someone speaks Hindu. Hindi? Hindi. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, because there's there's a second host like that she kind of plays off, right? Is that who you're talking about? Is that who said something? Okay. Anyway, the joke she said something... She said something along the lines of, Oh, I'm sorry, I was speaking Hindi. Or... You might call it Hinglish. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I was like, nope, we're done. This is not gonna, <laughs> this is not going to be good. Like Spanglish. <laughs> but it just felt so forced. It was very forced. I mean, maybe that was the delivery, but yeah, it was very forced. Um, and I, I mean, I remember the old show being quite funny actually. I mean, I'm not saying it was an e-ticket presentation by any means but it it had its charm and i was sort of hoping that that would survive and that's really what is different about it. i mean the animal tricks and their appearances are essentially the same uh sans the snatching of the dollar bill from a guest's hand that is gone uh yeah but the rest of it it's 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 substantially the same show uh just with revised and ultimately fairly dull dialogue yeah The worst part for me, and, and and I say, like, I'm giving this a bad review, but overall, I think the show is worthy enough to see it if you've never seen it before because of the things the birds can do. But I think what's sad is that the up character additions do not help this show at all. Like, I don't think they added to it unless you're a child and can only be entertained by seeing Disney characters, in which case, yes, it added yeah. to it. But there were some technical difficulties because the uh, Russell is not articulated, and so it's audio that's clearly playing on a track over... I mean, that's how it would be anyway, but you have to remember there are also live hosts who are actually speaking, so after the host would say a line, if it was Doug's line, I'm just picturing someone in the back hitting a button. Well, there were a couple times where the host was waiting for one of the characters to say something... And someone in the back was not on time. And she just kind of nodded her head and was like, yeah. (laughs) And then finally Russell spoke his line. 
So then the host said his next line, and in the middle of his sentence, Doug just started talking. <laughs> he was not <laughs> finished. Maybe, okay, well, there's some technical difficulties. Maybe they'll, they'll iron those out. I, I think so. Like I said, first show. Disney's like, that's fine, just do it. <laughs> we don't have to work on it. Just get it open. And Well, that's, I mean, it's not really sad, because I didn't have high hopes for the show. But, uh, you know, if you did, I guess that's sad. Some people really like Flights of Wonder, I guess. Yeah, well, there were a few points where Aaron and I looked at each other and were like, okay, that was pretty cool. Like, whenever, whatever that bird is that sings. Yes, some parrot-like bird can apparently sing seven songs and sang, what, two songs for us? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that was seriously impressive. The whole audience kind of perked up. You could feel like the energy in the, in the uh, theater went up a little bit when that happened. Quick, do something. Do something cool. Yeah. Well, I, I I have said this on Twitter already, so I'm going to be repeating myself. But if you've seen pictures of the new Pixar parade in Disneyland, there is an awesome float of Kevin the bird, maybe 15 feet tall. And on his back is Russell riding the bird. And it's kind of just one of those floats where... Like, everybody says, oh my gosh, look, wow, that's so cool. It's a really cool flow. So they've incorporated Kevin into that. If you're going to have a show where birds are the focus and it's themed to up, like, you would just assume that Kevin's going to be in it. Yeah. What made me assume this even more is they had a good five-minute conversation, if not more, about their friend Kevin. And Kevin this, and Kevin's much bigger than those birds, and Kevin blah, blah, blah. And then, like, Kevin never shows up. <laughs> it's like, what a tease. Yeah, it's like when the, when the characters, the princesses and things, talk about their... They feel like they gotta incorporate their friends and stuff. Yes, like, I, I know... I know that Ray the Firefly is your friend. You don't have to name drop. Like, I believe you're <laughs> Tiana. Thank you. Uh, that's that's funny. So, Derek, were there any like specialty foods or snacks? I, I went straight to Derek for that. That you ate <laughs> with your little squirrel hands uh, there that day. Uh, yes, we did not eat any. In fact, the two cupcakes were both sold out by about two o'clock. Oh, cupcakes! Of course, yes. I, of I course, know. Of course, there are cupcakes, and I, there were two specialty burgers as well. We did not get those. Um, I do want to get to food, but real quick, I do have to say that. A, to get into this park was crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I thought it was going to be just elbow to elbow, and it wasn't like that. But between 8 and 9, the parking was backed up so far. It was yeah, crazy. for those who are familiar with the area, the traffic line backed all the way up Osceola Parkway past the All-Star Resort area just to get into the turnstiles. Oh, my. Yeah. And when you walk in, you do. they did have a specialty map. And, I mean, when you think of, when you think of a big Disney anniversary, what do you think you're going to get as soon as you walk in the gates? Well, I think of a specialty map and a, and a button. Yep. But no. There was no <laughs> button. Button, but no. Ah. <laughs> ah, you switched two letters. <laughs> <laughs> there... I was shocked at this. There's a button for literally every occasion at Disney World. And there were no buttons. And I'm like, that is the least you could do, is make a button. Mm, they want you to buy the stuff. I guess, yeah. Buy all the commemorative uh, commemorative um, items. 
Yeah, maybe. I didn't buy anything, actually. I, I, I wanted to, but I, I don't know. The merchandise didn't really appeal to me all that much this year. Um, but back to food. So the only thing we did take advantage of... So Earth Day kind of always, every year kicks off party, f- party for the planet? Yeah. Yes. And this year, since it was the 20th, they were offering some specialty food items. And one of the things was at Tiffin's. And we really wanted to eat lunch at Tiffin's for the anniversary because we all like Tiffin's. It was a special day for Animal Kingdom. And it just so happened that on this day, they launched a temporary tasting menu for lunchtime. And it was $35 and you get an appetizer, entree, and dessert. Which, if you remember Tiffin's prices, like $35 yeah, for three. Yeah, that's 30, pretty good. That's really good. So we were all excited about this. But the menu was the most basic menu selection of food items it could possibly be. Even for, I mean, even for like, if this was an Epcot restaurant, I would be like, seriously, that's that's it? Like the, the three entrees you could choose from were salmon, chicken with rice, or or char-grilled beef. Yeah, that's like airplane food. That's like a that's like a bad wedding uh, reception. <laughs> I, I mean, a little bit like there's nothing African or Asian. Well, somebody didn't one of y'all get octopus? I I was just looking through your stories and I I remember someone had the octopus, which was my favorite thing there. Yeah, it's funny. So the four of us, we went with our friends uh, Ruben and Anthony, and I think all four of us walked in expecting to order this specially three course meal, and none of us did. Uh, so we ended up getting just typical lunch menu uh, options. But yeah, so I got as an appetizer uh, the octopus, which I've had at Tiffin's before, and it was so good that I had to get it again. It's the best octopus I've had anywhere. Not that I've mm. had it tons of places. Uh, I just very... like it so much there more than the <laughs> other 50 places I've had it. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's tender and flavorful, uh, and they do that Tiffin's thing where it still looks like an octopus when they bring it out, or the tentacles of an octopus. Complete do you, with- um, the first time I ever had, like, this kind of octopus, not like, I've had it with, like, at sushi restaurants, but cooked, grilled, that kind of thing, yeah. um, was at Tiffin's, and it was probably the same, kind of like a grilled, smoky kind of taste. Yeah. Um, did you think that it, did you, did you... Do you think it tastes like shellfish, like lobstery, scallopy? I I don't know. I, I don't know that I would compare it to that so much. Uh, but just you know, very very flavorful. But no, I I didn't taste particularly shellfishy to me. Uh, does it to you? Yeah, I was surprised how much like a good scallop or lobster it tasted. A little firmer, obviously, but I thought it had that kind of at Tiffin's good. or or elsewhere. At Tiffin's, like give me some okay. melted butter and I would have been full. <laughs> when you said lobster, I was not following you, but as soon as you said scallop, I actually can kind of see that comparison. Uh but mostly it's the the smokiness that that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. I for my appetizer, I got the uh falafel. Uh hold on. The full title was spiced chickpea falafel, which that's kind of redundant, right? Cuz falafel's it always is. chickpea <laughs> and falafel is always spiced. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Delicious, though. You get three pretty big pieces of falafel. Uh, Liked it a lot. And then for my entree, I got grilled swordfish with black rice. Have you had black rice? I'd never heard of this. I've had, like, wild rice that was pretty much black. I mean, this was... This looked almost like tar. Like, it was was wet, you know, instead of, like, grainy. Mm-hmm. And she was explaining to me that something about it's the healthiest rice in the world because of yada, yada, yada. I liked it a lot. 
Aaron, what'd you get for your entree? <laughs> I got the, the, I think it was called the autumn vegetable harvest. Uh, and I am not one ordinarily to Why? order a vegetarian dish. But, <laughs> I, <laughs> but you know, I've, I've been to Tiffin's before. I tried a few other things. This was a new item. It just sounded really good. Uh, and so I thought I would, part of the spirit of Tiffin's is stepping outside of your comfort zone and things you would usually order. So I was like, you know what? Maybe for the first time in my life, I will order an entirely vegetarian dish uh and it was really really good it was filling it helped that i'd already had octopus of course uh but yeah it was i think it was like squash and beets and and like a pumpkin puree and a few other things in there but yeah just hearty and flavorful and just once again even though we were all a little disappointed by the special menu for the day i think overall tiffin's once again did not disappoint for me i love most kinds of food i i can eat most anything i do not like a beet I hate beets. Oh, uh, then yeah, this would not be for you. No. I think they taste like, they just taste like, they taste like dirt. It's very, <laughs> very earthy. <laughs> Matt, you and I have eaten here before. I will say the grilled yeah. swordfish I had was maybe a tiny bit overcooked, and it was not as good as either of the two entrees you and I had. Um, but back to the meal you and I had there, two things I have to say. One is we got the specialty lunch course where you can get two smaller entrees and a side of rice and it was like what $28 I think they no longer offer that oh. at lunch which is a shame because I thought that was a great deal but is the lunch menu I mean is it still it is still cheaper than dinner menu I believe so I mean we didn't see a dinner menu but I would assume you can't get a good sampling of things like that right. and the second thing I have to say is remember I got the whole fried sustainable fish or, the, or maybe it's just called fried sustainable fish and you convinced me that it was going to come out looking like a fish. Well, yeah, because that's the pictures I had. Yes. Saw. Yeah. And it didn't. And I think that's because it was a smaller entree since I got the basically the Panera pick too. But the table beside us ordered the whole fried sustainable fish. And oh, it's, no. oh, it's straight up came out like a curved sea that was an f- entire fish's body with the eyes and the fin and... Yeah, and that gets, that's good for presentation, but I'd be like, oh. <laughs> well, yeah, but after they started cutting into it, it really did look pretty good. I think I'm I could sure, have done it. Yeah, yeah I think I could have mm. done it. So, I mean, that was basically it for the, the things that were exclusive to the 20th, right? I mean, like we said, we didn't get the cupcakes. Over uh, by the new Up show, I don't think it's exclusive for the 20th, but it might have been making its premiere this week, is a new cake pop uh, that is theme to look like the layers of the earth and then the sky up at the top and then there are some little um i don't know if it's frosting or or little pearls that look sort of like the up balloons at the top so you get this visual of of earth sky and hot air balloon all in a cake pop it looked very good but i don't think any of us tried it yeah uh not so much cake pop i mean cake pops make me think of like the little lollipops made of cake it was more like a push pop sure i think that the turn they they called it a cake pop but yeah it definitely looks and works like a like a push pop like a parfait that you push up. Yeah, kind of. Push yeah. up yeah. parfait. And Disney always names things wrong. Like, I remember when they released the new Pecos... <laughs> when they released the new Pecos Bill menu, there was basically a picture of a taco, and they called it a burrito. Like, it wasn't even wrapped. It was an open-faced taco, and they called it a burrito. Like, no. I think maybe they go for, like, the least common denominator between different languages. Like, what is everybody going to understand? <laughs> burrito. Yeah. <laughs> you know... <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Animal Kingdom isn't the only thing in the news uh, from your trip. Uh, how, 
y'all also got to experience the new scene in Pirates of the Caribbean, which has been open for a, a monthish now, right? Probably, Aaron. You'd seen it before. Yeah, at least at least a couple of weeks. Uh, yes, I had, and th- this was your first time seeing it, Derek. I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of this scene. I was a little hesitant uh, when they announced the change. I sort of understood. I did a whole podcast on this topic, but essentially, you know, it came down to, for me, whatever the reasons for the change may be, ultimately the new scene has to make sense and has to be as good, if not better than what replaced it, or otherwise, whatever the justification for the change, Disney ultimately would have failed in its mission, but. So I went in sort of with a critical mindset, but I'm really, really pleased with this. I think I've ridden it maybe seven times since it reopened, and every single time I fall in love with the new scene a little bit more. I think it's funny. I think it's a quick, easy read, uh, and and that's always the hallmark of uh, good Imagineering, particularly in a dark ride where you have just these sort of like fast ride-bys of a scene. You need to quickly understand everything that's happening. The dialogue makes sense. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was, it's good. And the, the the redhead as a personality is uh, more likable than ever because I think she's maybe a little more three-dimensional, has some dialogue of her own, and the audio animatronic, just like the fluidity of it, is really, really amazing. Yeah. I wrote it three times just because, you know, you can catch different snippets of dialogue depending on when you pass it. And I agree. I, I really like it. It's new and fresh, but it, and yet it feels seamless. It is a little disarming when you first hear her voice because a woman's voice is not really something that we've heard in Pirates before other than the don't be cheekin. Don't be cheekin. <laughs> and it, it was nice. It was refreshing. I like it. I do think there's a part of me in four or five years that will say, oh man, I kind of, I kind of miss that inappropriate winch scene. <laughs> but yeah. then, you know, there... like nostalgia. I think there'll be part of me who's like, oh, I wish just one more time I could see that scene. When we wrote it in... Paris, the change had already taken place, but it was all in French. And so I couldn't, I, I wasn't really getting any of the, the dialogue. Is there anything that um, that kind of replaces, we want the redhead as like a, okay, that's good, that's the new thing. Like, we want the candlesticks. <laughs> she does say at one point something like, I know what they want. They want the rum, don't you boys? And they all chant, we want the rum, we want the rum. And then he, the auctioneer says, go ahead, show him your... And you're expecting him to say, was it larboard side? Larboard yeah. side. Yeah. And he says, show him your flock. <laughs> I was like, oh, I did not expect that. But I asked Aaron this, and, we, and we're not sure. I think they completely removed the line about, I'm not sponging for rum, it'd be gold I'm after. And I feel like that's kind of a classic line, so that feels weird that it's gone. Yeah. Does his voice sound similar? auctioneer i think so yeah okay i would agree oh and is it hen for a pin pin for a hen hen for a pin something like that i think that's gonna be a famous line in years to come probably do you feel that it it well it's hard for us who know the ride so well and are familiar with the old ride um do you feel like you feel like it's disruptive to the flow like oh no that's weird and then back yeah i was worried that it would be and so I'm actually surprised by how seamlessly it fits in because it's the same idea. I mean, it, it, this new story scene, 
you know, fills the same or plays the same role that the scene that's replacing did. Uh, so it, yeah, it just fits in quite naturally. And I want to say that the character designs, like this has not maybe gotten as much attention yet, but if you look at these new background characters who are sort of chained up, uh, I mean, they're, they're sort of modeled after the ones who came before, but uh, just the bust work is incredible. It's really detailed. It's very Disney. It's very Blaine Gibson looking. Uh, and so just, yeah, the whole thing not only fits in, but also I think actually elevates the level of artistry in that part of the ride. That's what I was just thinking. It's so funny that you can add something in 2018 to a 50-year-old attraction. You would think that that scene would stand out as being just so more technologically advanced than the others, but to me, it actually helped me appreciate the later scenes even more because they are just as wow, they are just as impressive as that brand new scene that was just added a month ago. And it, it just helped me realize like how genius this attraction is. Did they yeah. do any um, noticeable updates on anything else that you noticed in, in the ride? The the smell, the scent uh, of when you ride by the bottles of rum, that seemed maybe a little stronger. I don't know if they oh. put in some new air mist or something there, but... <laughs> I can think of two things now that you said this. First of all, the beach scene at the very, very beginning has been way uncluttered. The boat completely gone. The mermaid skeleton is gone. I like the changes. Oh, good. Yeah. Yes. It's very minimal now. Are they still singing the mermaid song? That's gone too. See, I loved yes. the mermaid additions, but it was problematic that they rarely worked. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, one time well, I wrote I mean, it. The, the actual uh, song playing, is it still, is it the mermaid song or is it the old instrumental yoho yeah because that mermaid song was originally supposed to accompany the projections of the mermaid who would look like they jumped out of the water beside your boat and that never really worked one time i wrote it and the thing that jumped out of the water was the panasonic logo (laughs) 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 true story uh and so it just never worked so i guess because of that it was probably best that they took it out but I, i thought it was a nice little uh homage to that part of like pirate lore or whatever but yeah it's completely gone so it's it's the way that it was before they ever tinkered with that yeah Mm, and the second change i can think of is when you get to the scene where the cannons are going off just after the drop they have done something to those cannons because you are guaranteed to get wet by at least one of them like they've yeah. They've upped the intensity level. And I swear, all three times I wrote it, people in the boat were like, Wah! because the water <laughs> would splash up. And you you can tell that it's going to land on you. Yeah, I don't know what's happening with this. Because, you know, so the whole rumor, I don't know how true this was, but when Pirates opened with the new boats, what was this, maybe two years ago? Yeah. They replaced all the boats. And the rumor was that they had sort of messed up on their calculations and the boats were too heavy or the weight distribution was wrong or something. And so this was causing like a, a larger splash when you came down the drop and so everyone was getting much wetter. Uh, and then it was that was supposed to have been corrected somehow with uh, with this latest refurbishment and I almost wonder if to compensate for that they've now turned up the cannonball splashes because when I went like the night that they reopened with the new redhead scene it wasn't as crazy wet with these like massive cannonballs uh, that we had all this weekend you're right every time we rode it 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 was like the ride had a mind all its own it was trying to get everybody soaked I gotta say though I love it (laughs) because it's already an intense scene you know he's yelling and screaming and cannons are going off and so it makes you feel like you're more part of the action you know yeah so it's 4d that's right (laughs) that's right um that's cool I I, it's amazing how how busy 
I have been and have not been able to get up there and ride this. Of course, my daughter is now deathly afraid of pirates, <gasps> and I don't understand. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, we'll we'll still take her on it because we're those parents. Like you're gonna ride this. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, she loves haunted mansion, but pirates just nope. Um, so anyway, we'll have to try to to get her up there. But uh, speaking of rumors with Pirates of the Caribbean. Derek, I didn't ask you this, but so there is another rumor that the new redhead animatronic uh, is mechanically the Wicked Witch of the West from the great movie, right? Like they took her robotics and put her in uh, to Pirates of the Caribbean, but that her face is Jane from the Tarzan scene in the great movie ride. Uh, You know, I thought that she looked like Jane a lot. Yes. When I saw the photo. There have been some of these Twitter accounts that, you know, may or may not be run by Imagineers sort of undercover, (laughs) and they've sort of winkingly confirmed that that is the case. I don't know ultimately whether it's true or not, but I can believe it. I mean, her gesticulations are sort of the type that we usually see with the Wicked Witch. And like you said, Matt, her face looks sort of like Jane. But anyway, Derek, now that you've seen it for yourself, what do you think? Does that seem credible to you? That's very fascinating. She is fluid, and I've always thought the Wicked Witch was one of the more impressive audio animatronics with the fluidity. So that would make sense. But I heard that rumor when they first announced all of this, and I thought it was a joke, and people were saying... Like, people who hated this change so much were saying, oh, I bet they'll use the Wicked Witch audio animatronic as sort of like an, mm. a joke about the fact that, oh, you're adding, you're making her a pirate, and we hate this change, so it must be the Wicked Witch. Like, does that make sense? Yes. And I thought that was stupid, but you, you're saying that, like, it's a, it could potentially be true just because it's a good audio animatronic, so why not reuse it? And there, I mean, there is a history of them reusing animatronics, so it's not unheard of. Oh, and the other part of this rumor is that the auctioneer is now the is now mechanically what used to be Ellen's animatronic uh, in Epcot. Again, take this for what it's worth, but that's uh, that's what's percolating around the Disney Twitter sphere. Interesting. I mean, if I were Disney, I would want to say it. You know, I'd want to be like, you know, that ride that you all complained is gone. Well, we've preserved a piece of it, and you can now see it in Pirates. Mm. Well, sticking around the Magic Kingdom, you had another once, not once in a lifetime, but your first your first experience was something. Um, on our last Mad Cube? No, because that was the one with the, the guest. On one of our recent Mad Cube parties, or was it something where we asked questions to one another? We talked about tours that we would like to take, and um, the one that Derek mentioned was the the train tour, aptly named the magic behind our steam trains <laughs> tour, which I think is the most boring name possible for a tour. But, <laughs> you know, I guess they want people to know what they're getting into. But you did this um, Monday morning of your trip. Yes. Just tell us uh, you and you had to be there at like but but 30 in the morning, correct? <laughs> On the dot. <laughs> Please be here no later than but 30. <laughs> I, thought, I would say that. Well, it is funny that the when they sent us the information, it was like, do not be here later than 7.15. There is no accommodating late guests. I, I think we would have been fine. But in fact, they wouldn't even let us in. Like we got there a little before seven and the bag checkers were standing there. But they're like, nope, we can't check your bags yet. You have to stand here like close to contemporary. <laughs> so but we got let in. Um yeah, let's talk about this tour. Okay, so the gist... I, I mean, I get, can we give away spoilers for this, or should we just... Let's just say that there's spoilers up front. Okay. And if you want to do the tour and be surprised, then don't listen to this. Okay. 
Obviously, I mean, the bulk of the tour is a, a lot of information and backstories and stories of Walt and Train. So I've, obviously, I'm not going to spoil all that because that would just be telling you stories and that's not exciting. But I am going to tell you what you do in this tour. So you show up early. And for me, maybe the best part of the tour were, was like the first 30, 40 minutes because you begin outside the train station. And Matt, you might know this, but he, the very first fun fact on this tour, I had no idea about. The window in front of Main Street train station that says Walt on it, do you know what I'm talking about? Like when you're looking up at the train station, the train is in front of the station, and then you see like the words Magic Kingdom, and there's one window because it's a building, and of course it has a window. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That window says Walt on it. That was added in 2001. Oh, for the 100-year thing? Yeah. I guess I just assumed if you're going to have a park called Walt Disney World, like, that would have been the first thing you did. Just the window that says Walt? It says something like Walt Disney keep or Walt Disney Enterprises keeping our dreams on track or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, huh. so it's almost like after 40 years of all the windows on Main Street, they were like, oh, my gosh, there's not one for Walt. <laughs> he's the train station yeah exactly so we go in the park is empty of course because this is an hour and a half before it opens and I loved these few minutes of just standing in Main Street like Aaron you posted this that we were outside the train station when they turned on the music loop yes that was that was I didn't expect that. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that the music wasn't playing, but it was a magical little moment to be standing right there and hear it. Is turn there on. a nice uh, professional slow fade or is it like a crank up the music no. box like you got it, fan? Uh, <laughs> no. Um there's there there was like a really loud feedback sound and no I'm just kidding, it didn't do that. <laughs> Testing <laughs> one, two. So just it just it's just like turns on. Boom, play. Yeah, basically. But there's also an announcement. It doesn't play outside in the Esplanade, but you can hear it on Main Street where there's announcing to the cast members like, attention, the Magic Kingdom must be show ready or the following lands in Magic Kingdom must be show ready by 7.30 a.m. Uh, and that was a cool little like pulling back the curtain moment. Yeah. yeah. So we got to stand in the hub and he was like, take as many pictures as you want. You're never going to, you know, you, you're so rare that you get to see the park this empty. And I love this because the music is playing. There's no one around except for maybe the 12, 13 people in our group. And as you look down Main Street, there are a few custodial workers like walking up and down the street and they'll pick up like one little thing and they'll sweep one little thing. And it just it just gave me the impression that these are the people who are like, all right, our guests are almost here. Let's make sure everything is in ship shape condition. And oh, there's a little piece of dust. Let me get this. It has to be show ready. And I just love that because they're like, this place has to be perfect. And they're almost here. You know, everyone almost is here to experience the magic, some for the first time ever. When in reality, they're like, man, I need some cream for this hemorrhoid. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've been walking around on this thing all night. Gotta pick up this can on the road, dead gummit. No, the workers I saw looked like they were starting their shift. Oh, okay. So they're, they're just happy. Hemorrhoid guy's already going home. <laughs> My word, that was the most random thing you've ever said. <laughs> so we did that. He took us down in the first floor of the train station and gave us some information about the photos that were there and the four trains that are part of the Magic Kingdom. Uh, trivia, can you name any of the four trains? 
train one. <laughs> well, uh, technically, yes, they do have numbers. Uh, but if you go downstairs in the Main Street train station, there are two pictures on one wall and two pictures on the other wall of the trains and their names. One is the Walt Disney. <laughs> one is the Lily... Is it the Lily Bell or the Lily Ann... Lily Ann Disney, whatever. One is the Roger Brogy. And now I can't remember the fourth one. But they're all named after... Roy. Oh, that's right. They When they brought in the fourth one, they named it Roy because even though he objected to it in his lifetime, after his death, they were like, we don't care what you say, we're naming one the Roy Disney. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. So after that, we got to ride the train. So what happens is the, the train we rode had been parked there, and they basically just kept it there for us. And... They took us to the roundhouse. Now, to get to the roundhouse, which is where they park both the monorails and the trains at night, we rode the train past Adventureland, past Frontierland, all the way to Storybook Circus. And during this whole time, the um, we have a headset, and our guide is telling us fun facts. Like, one of the interesting things I thought was when he was telling us about the whistles. Like, okay, you're about to hear a short whistle followed by a long whistle. That means the train is coming or you're about to hear two short whistles and a long one, and that means I'm here. And, like, as pretty much on cue when he said it, you would hear it. Yes, and he referred to it as trains having their own language, which immediately made me think of Dumbo, because Casey Jr. in that movie does sort of talk through his train whistle. And so just the, like, Disney movie nerd in me had kind of a... Like, I got little chills thinking about that. That was cool. Chills, huh, yeah. <laughs> well, when you so when you hear the whistle next time at Magic Kingdom, know that they're not just like, "I'm bored, let me pull the whistle." <laughs> like they're they're yeah. sending a message. There's a purpose. Yeah. So we get to Storybook and we come to a full stop, and he tells us to turn around, and you can see just about the time you get to Storybook Circus, if you turn around behind you, a second track goes off to the right, like away from the park. So we stopped, and they switched over the track, and in reverse, we went all the way from Storybook Circus outside the park we cross a main road which is where cat you've talked about this before like behind the magic kingdom there's that road that cast members have to take yeah. um, or anyone can take and it's kind of funny that there is an actual railroad crossing there and we were with ruben our friend who's a cast member and i said have you ever had to stop for the train he's like no because i always got here earlier than that but i can't imagine just driving around orlando and i have to stop for the walt disney world railroad to pass, you know? Yeah, they were like, wave to all the cast members who are running late for work. <laughs> <laughs> hey. And we did. So we reverse all the way up to the roundhouse where we got out, and then he talked about the train for a little bit, and then we said goodbye to it because it had to go back into the park to, I mean, to be the Walt Disney World Railroad for guests that day. So it left. and But the Roger Brogy train was parked there all day. Because I guess they don't use all four trains during a single day. So with that train parked, that's when he explained like all the mechanisms of this train. He talked about the smokestack and the steam dome and how things work and the flu and how trains used to work and how things have changed since then. Um, I mean, that was the gist of that first part of the tour, I'd say. Other than being... You know, in in these kind of magical places like Main Street, without the people and and the, riding the train in this way out of the park and stuff, those kind of neat things. And did you find all the info, like 
interesting if you weren't like a trained person? Well, and like I will say, so this is the fourth Walt Disney World tour that I have taken, and with all of them, I think that their big selling point and the thing that you come away with the most is just the elite access to you know these sort of backstage hidden areas, and the information is never quite as satisfying and particularly on this tour it was very dense a lot of it after we moved sort of the move past the history of the walt disney world railroad specifically after we moved past that section a lot of it was about the mechanics of how trains work and so there were a lot of references to like what's going on inside the train but there's no real visual aid you can't really see what they're talking about so for a long time you are just sort of standing there hearing about how trains work and i imagine there's probably an audience segment out there that's totally fascinated by that like if you're very mechanically minded if you're into sort of engineering or that sort of thing or if you're just really into trains then that might really hold your attention i found my mind starting to wonder during that like latter portion of that first half of the tour uh, but they, they do try to mix things up. Like there's a guy who sets, um, sets what, what was it called, Derek, that he set on fire? Ooh, I want to say flamethrower, but that sounds too intense for what it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's something that's used to, to get the fire going in a train and to show us how it works. They had uh, someone come out and actually hold it in his hand and light it on fire for us. So like, you know, that was a little moment of spectacle. Ah, fire. Yeah. Yeah. I, the word dense was perfect. Like, there's a lot of information coming at you in this tour. And for me, at this point in the tour, all the best stuff had already happened. Like, it was one yeah, thing yeah. after <laughs> another. Like, an empty Main Street. This is so cool. Oh, we're going to ride the train before anyone else is here. We're going to take it out of the park. Oh, this is the roundhouse. Cool. And for me, it, it kind of went downhill from there. Like, you've seen the roundhouse, right, Matt? Driving by. Yeah, it. on a different tour. Yeah. They did not care one smidge about making it look magical in any way whatsoever like it is so dirty so old and gross <laughs> like they don't care yeah but it was still kind of cool because it was like oh we're i mean this is the backstage like we're, we're seeing it you know we're part of it and he's showing all, us all the stuff but then it's just a lot of information being thrown at you so you said the first part of the tour yes so this is the first mm -hmm. part um and i did like after he talked about the train and stuff, by the way, pictures are totally allowed. Like, he kept encouraging us. Like, once we get to the roundhouse, you're going to want to take a ton of pictures, take your time, go around. We'll, we'll take, like, 10 minutes to do that. So I did like that aspect of it. Yeah. And what's weird about this location is that even though it's it's backstage Magic Kingdom, it might be the one place where backstage at Walt Disney World is also pub publicly accessible because it is on a main road. I don't, I don't think most people know that this road is available to the public, but it is. So you can get in your car any time of day or night and drive by right where we were standing you probably can't park and walk up to the roundhouse as close as we did but you can be 10 feet away and be like well within your rights and so i guess that's why pictures were okay here because yeah. i mean you could go take them on your own without the tour if you wanted to of all the things he said this part was the longest like this story was so long but it was my favorite he talked about how walt disney world acquired the four trains and how they went down to Mexico and made negotiations with them and how and how Roy was behind it and how Roger Brogy was behind it, which is why one of the trains is named after him. I found that all very fascinating because like that's what I would expect from a tour of, called the magic behind our steam trains. It literally is yeah. telling you the story behind our trains, how they got here. So I liked that. But like we said, this was the first part of the tour and to get back, like we couldn't take the train because the trains were already running at that point in the park. And so we took a bus. So like I said, it starts on a high. And then as the tour went on, it was like, oh, 
Okay, we're just gonna get on the bus. Okay, cool. So we took a bus to the backstage right behind Town Square Theater where they let us in there. And and it was funny to me because in this part of the backstage, he was like, don't take pictures. This is backstage. And I'm like, we just came from backstage, but okay. We walked in and we took a break inside Town Square Theater where we were provided complimentary bottles of water, which I thought was so lame. Because it was, it was 9.30, like, that's a reasonable time to have a little snack. <laughs> Whatever. Pretzels. <laughs> In fact, someone, if you're listening to the show, I forget your name, and I'm so sorry, but someone commented on Facebook, I love this tour. One of my favorite parts was getting the big donut at the end. And I was like, say what? And I realized she was talking about the similar tour in Disneyland. Oh. But I'm like, yeah, there were definitely no donuts in this No thing. big donuts. So we finished break at 9.30, and the tour was going to end at 10.30. And Matt, the entire last hour of this tour, you go up to the train station. You know there's that room right before you board. Like, you have to walk through the big room with the benches and everything. We sat on those hard wooden benches, and he had one of those, like, four-foot-tall easels with big no. pictures where you have to flip the picture over the back to get to the next one. And it was pictures of Walt with trains throughout the years, and he told us the story of basically why trains are connected to Walt. Like how Walt rode a train with his mom as a kid, how Walt was on a train when he came up with the idea for Mickey Mouse, how Walt built trains in his backyard. So you're like, I know this, can I leave? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. A little bit. And a lot of the information, I was like, like he spent a good 10 minutes on Mickey how he he was going to be called Mortimer and how Lillian had the idea to name him Mickey. And the whole time I was thinking, what does this have to do with steam trains? Yeah, it, it was it was a rough hour, honestly, and a long one. And like you said, he had those 50 pages that he's flipping through. And I found myself like trying to count how many pages were left and doing the math. Yeah, like, okay, please. if he only spends 45 seconds on each one of these, maybe this will end early. Like, oh, it, that's terrible. Well, and what's sad is I really couldn't even see the pictures. Like, they weren't that big of pictures on these mm-hmm. pages. I couldn't see them from where I was sitting. Would you pay the same amount for just the first part? That's the question, right? Like, what's the takeaway from this tour? And I think for me, even though there was a lot of information and I didn't find all of it applicable, the few high moments for me were were worth the price. Absolutely. Yes. And that that last hour does come together in a very nice way. Like the last 10 minutes of that last hour, he really just kind of brings it all together in, in a pretty compelling way. If I, I think if you know, if I could just sort of reconstruct this tour, I would keep everything where we go out to the roundhouse, look at the train, maybe trim off like 20 minutes of that, trim off 20 minutes from his his little uh, slide presentation, and spend the rest of the time riding the full circuit of the Walt Disney Railroad and providing some history of that as an attraction because there's really interesting history there. Some of those sites that you see, some of the animatronics as you go along. Uh, for example, there some of your listeners might know these blogs called uh, Wide in Your World and Passports to Dream, and they conducted their own investigation a few years ago to train the history of the alligators and the frog animatronic that you see while you're riding the railroad and as it turns out they very very briefly appeared in the jungle cruise in 1971 for like a week uh but it's just it's a really interesting story and just like stuff like that i would have liked to have learned about uh but we really were just learning about the trains and not so much the attraction so i think maybe that one of those three hours would be better spent on that 
Yeah, most tours give you access to at least one attraction. You know, like you get to go through the fast pass line and ride this for, or whatever. And for me, a tour about the magic of our, behind our steam trains, absolutely, you should be guaranteed one lap on the railroad. I think that's a great point. And I thought for sure that was going to happen. I think what's sad is that the first half was better. Like, if these had been switched, I think I would have a totally different opinion of this tour. Like, it would get yeah. better and better and better as you go, you know? Yeah. But you do get two keeps, uh, keepsakes from mm-hmm. this, so that's kind of nice. Like, I, t- I have two um, items that I got to keep that no one else will have unless they took this tour. Which were? Well, I, I, I didn't know if, if we should say, but I guess we can. You get a button at the beginning that's kind of adorable. It has, like, a little cartoonist train and Mickey Mouse as a conductor, and it has your name on a tr- transparent label maker, but that's okay. And then at the end, you get a pin that says the name of the tour. And he told us he better not see them on eBay the next day. Because <laughs> you can only get them on this yeah, tour. Right. I see. At, yeah. Which, what, 20-ish people take two or three times a week? Yeah, they only offer it three or four days a week. So that's good to know. So don't just roll up on a Wednesday and think you're going to take it. Yeah. Well... Uh, that's a that's a mediocre note on which to end your trip review. <laughs> were, there, were there any other highlights? Or like you know what you did a lot this trip in terms of like the tour and Pirates Open and 20th anniversary of of Animal Kingdom. That's not just your normal like come down and do the normal stuff. No, that's true. I mean that that's why I planned this trip um, was to try some new things, and and those are all the new things I was able to experience. And yeah, I guess it does kind of sound like a lot when you when you put it all together like that. So um, yeah, overall a great. And again, this tour, like it, I think it's fair to say I was disappointed in from what I expected, but overall, I think I think I would still recommend it to people. Just know what you're getting into. Yeah, and it is one of the lower price tours, too. So, I mean, that's definitely a factor. I mean, obviously, it's not going to compare to one of the all-day-long tours that will cost you hundreds of dollars. But I think the list price on this is like 50 bucks. Uh, there's also the Behind the Seeds tour, which which is maybe only like 20 or 30 over in Epcot. And it's a much shorter tour. But I think if you're choosing between the two lower price tours, I personally would recommend Behind the Seeds as your first one. But, yeah, I mean, I, if you've never done a Disney tour at all and you want to, you know, get some some time backstage, then yeah, I, I still think that you'll enjoy it. I enjoyed it overall, despite some of the things that I would like to see improved. Yeah. Now, as we're talking about this, I realized, like, I think I'm going to send an email to them and, of course, um, compliment our guy, Jimmy, because he did a he did a really good job and compliment the things I like. But I think I'll at least provide suggestions. If they don't take them, that's fine. But if they do, it'll help the tour, I think. Send, like, a link to our stuff and be like, this is this is who I am, and so you better listen. Or it could be like, I have some idea. You know what? Just go listen to episode 186. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's the link. <laughs> Leave us a review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Magic behind our steam trains. Alright, well, Aaron, thank you for joining us. Thanks for uh, helping me break it down. I didn't want to be the only one talking this whole time, so I really appreciate you being here. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. And also, I wanted to say, just going back to the Animal Kingdom 20th anniversary, you know, even though there isn't a lot of like programming for these commemorative uh, days, these anniversaries, 
it is just such a festive time to sort of like in the same way that a holiday every single year encourages you to like stop and appreciate family and tradition and that sort of thing i think that these park anniversaries give us occasion to stop and reflect on why we love the parks and a big part of that for me this year was the week leading up to the anniversary and like reading blogs and listening to podcasts uh you're looking back at the history of animal kingdom and a big part of what got me really excited for this day was the episode that you guys did sort of reflecting on park history and so that's a big part of it you know just taking a moment to look back on it so thank you for doing that because i was thinking about it a lot throughout uh throughout the day there oh well good well thanks so much and, and we have to stop and appreciate the the parks because you know every year they're, they're getting older and and they're not always going to be here <laughs> so you just got to appreciate it while you got it yeah what did i say i wanted to take a picture of because it might not be there the next day and you were like I mean, we should just take pictures of everything then because it might not be here the next day. Oh, it's the purple wall. Never mind. Nothing important. Yes. <laughs> but no, it's so true. Ask River Country. These things will stick around. That's right. River Country. River Country. Okay, I feel weird closing this show with this, but Matt, I do have to talk about the purple wall because technically this was something new I experienced. So you know they, they're doing like a new paint scheme in Tomorrowland. Yes. So the, the, uh, the famous among hipsters purple wall that everyone has to get their picture in front of, millennials especially, now has a new design and I really like it a lot but it was funny because there was one girl who was trying to get her picture beside it and her mom is standing as as we love when people do across the walkway from her uh-huh. and that is a very heavy hev- heavily trafficked area so there were flocks of people flooding through there because it's the middle of the day and this girl was so over it. She was like rolling her eyes and people would kind of hesitate and she would roll her eyes and wave her arm like, well, go ahead now, go ahead. I'm like, you're not going to get your picture. Like, just come back a different time. Yeah. It was funny. This isn't working out for you. Maybe go pick another colored wall. Well, that does it for this episode. Aaron, thanks again. Listeners, go find him online, Aaron Wallace online or Aaron Wallace on Twitter. It's a great follow always. So, and I'm sure Aaron, you'll be back soon to talk about something else exciting. Yeah, I hope so. This was fun. Thanks. Before we go, I do want to offer something to our listeners. While I was at Animal Kingdom, as I left the park late that night on the 20th anniversary, I did pick up a few extra maps. They say 20 on them. They were special just for this anniversary. When you unfold them completely, they look really great. They have some fun facts about the park throughout the years. Uh, I I, I just want to give these extra ones away to some listeners. So if you are interested in one of these maps, just send an email to comments at madchatters.net. Probably in a couple of weeks after I've received some names, I'll randomly pick a few people who will get one of these commemorative maps. So if you'd like one, just let us know. Uh, in the meantime, I think that does it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks again to Aaron Wallace for joining us. Uh, you can always find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mad Chatters. We'll be posting lots of pictures of that steam train tour, as well as some pictures from Animal Kingdom's anniversary. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. And I think that does it. So we will see you next week. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Bye-bye now. And
and Jeremy. I am the rainbow of this show, rarely seen and always horny. Can I not say that? (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather you did not. All right. (laughs) You got to explain it to me first. Like, you never see a unicorn and they have a horn. But you said rainbow. Oh, what I said? said I was like, why are rainbows horny? (laughs) I meant unicorn. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) I was thinking about them pooping rainbows. You said rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, my bad. (laughs) All right. um, I mean, the rarely seen worked, but. (laughs) All right, introduce me again, Derek, and I'll just go with what, what my gut says. And Jeremy. Hey, that's me. No, I like it. That's good. <laughs> All right, who wants to bait first? Who has a bird in their I closet? don't know. Wait, this is not me. What is that? It's my windows open. Uh, <laughs> and the bird is... <laughs> Hold on a second. Here just talking about Animal Kingdom. Oh, insane. Ah! Get out of here! <laughs> You're supposed to pick him up on your finger and sing a song with him.